You don't need to be a bioengineer to help change the shape of humanity. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, did you know that I'm the editor of Bloomberg Businessweek? Yeah, I noticed. Uh, it's when you became pretty intolerable. Ugh! It's true. <laughs> no, that's why. That's where your nickname Hard Stop comes from. Hard Stop. We have a Hard Stop today. Uh, so recently we ran an article about a phenomenon called Heartbeat Trades by Zach Miter, Rachel Evans, and Carolina Wilson. And it was a little controversial, to say the least. Yeah, I know from the ETF uh, world I operate in, there was a lot of pushback, uh, comments, which we'll address today. But all in all, this is something that I've seen on my screen for, uh, I don't know, f- at least five, eight years maybe. And it, it's it's sped up lately, more recently, where you'll see a flow come in, and it'll be a pretty big spike on the daily flow screen. And then two days later or a day later, the same exact flow comes out. And they were dubbed heartbeats because they kind of look like a heartbeat monitor. Um, and essentially, they can throw you off. For example, sometimes you'll see a bunch of heartbeat flows come in right at the end of the month, and they count to, like, say, March flows, and you'll be like, oh, March was a record month, and then, or you'll say, oh, value had a, uh, a huge uh, run-in, and really, it was a heartbeat flow. So for me, over the years, I've learned to sort of tease them out to try to access true sentiment because they are not sentiment. They are uh, an operational type flow. And the reason that we want to talk about it this week is that taxes are kind of on everyone's mind because April 15th, and there's some tax implications to heartbeats. So that's why we want to talk about it this week. Joining us, Zach Miter with Bloomberg News, as well as Rachel Evans. This week on Trillions, the heartbeat trade controversy. Zach, Welcome to the show for the first time. Rachel, you're regular. Zach, how did this story come about? I used to write about taxes a lot, so I know... You pe- actually like won a Pulitzer for writing about taxes, right? I did. That's kind of a big deal. Congratulations. Thank well, you. Oh, oh, what Thank was the story on that you won it for? It was about um, companies that uh, acquire a foreign uh, address to no longer be American so they, they can pay lower taxes. And Tax inversions. Exactly. Yeah. Like Apple? Uh, they they didn't do that, but they did a lot of other interesting things with their taxes, <laughs> for sure. They, they, they're the ones who had the Irish company that was um, that was a tax resident of nowhere. It was the Irish thought it was American, and the Americans thought it was Irish, so it was a tax resident of tricky. of nowhere. Yeah, tricky. very tricky. So you yeah. know a few things about taxes. Well, I know a few people. I've, I've stayed in touch with a few people, and one of them mentioned last year you should really write about this thing. Uh, in the ETF world, and I know nothing about e- ETFs. I barely even knew what ETF stood for, and so I contacted Welcome to Trillions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I contacted Rachel, who knows everything about ETFs, and she kind of um, explained, you know, using small words. She kind of helped explain it to me, and we decided to try to look into this topic. 
Yeah, so, so Zach came to me back in January, uh, I think it was of this year. And, and like Eric mentioned uh, in the intro, we've seen rebalances um, in the ETF industry for years. And to his point, there's something that we really watch out for because when we're writing about sentiment, they tend to throw us for a loop. They, they send us kind of like going in the wrong direction, saying that everybody is suddenly bullish on financials when in fact that money's going to come out a couple of days later. However, what I hadn't realised, obviously not knowing everything about the ETF industry, was quite kind of how important these trades are for tax purposes. So Zach came to me with this kind of uh, sort of idea about kind of how these were effectively kind of like tax motivated transactions. And we started to try and kind of piece together exactly how these trades really work, whether they have a real world kind of implication in terms of like the shift in in stock within a fund or kind of like, well, I guess, and exactly how that impacts the the tax uh, for those funds and for their end investors. So what exactly is a heartbeat trade? Typically, you know, most ETFs follow indexes, and uh, every once in a while, the the index changes. You've got a stock that has to leave the index or come in, and if an ETF just sells the old stock that's leaving the index, and that stock was a winner, like it went up during the time the ETF owned it, that would generate a, a taxable gain, which would have to be passed on to ETF investors. And so, the alternative is if you, in the people who know. ETFs know about the creation and redemption process. If you happen to have people who want to redeem that day enough volume, you can just hand off that stock to them and there's no tax implications. And that's because of this this kind of strange little exception to the general rule in taxes that was that only applies to mutual funds and ETFs. And and what's the history of that exception? So in nineteen sixty nine, Congress decided to make it uh, the general rule be that if a corporation essentially buys back its stock in the form of giving over appreciated property, then they would have to recognize tax on the, that appreciation. And they made it; they carved out an exception that only applies to regulated investment companies, which is mutual funds and ETFs. But back then, of course, there weren't ETFs; there were just mutual funds. And at the time, no one really thought it was a big giveaway because mutual funds hardly ever do this; they only use it kind of in emergencies. So nobody really paid much attention to this weird little exception that hardly ever got used. Decades later, ETFs come along. They use it all the time. They're kind of set up to operate that way. And so it's, a, it's kind of the, the source of ETFs um, kind of durable tax advantage over mutual funds. And, you know, this rings to our documentary, Shameless Plug, on how the ETF was created. And remember Kathleen Moriarty saying they didn't make the creation redemption mechanism for this purpose, but the IR, the lawyers, the tax lawyers inform them that this is going to be a nice happy accident that you would be able to limit your capital gains. Happy coincidence, I think. And it's called the ETF story. Uh, <laughs> what, did I call it? what did I no, just call it? You just didn't put the title in. Oh, okay. We got to like okay. market ourselves okay. a little bit. Uh, but part of that was that, you know, this is totally legal, right? Like this is something that the ETF hasn't, it's not like it, it's exploited, but it's taken advantage of. So, what is there anything actually nefarious going on here? So yeah, so I just started to say like half the story of what a heartbeat is. So normally ETFs are creating and redeeming, and whenever anyone redeems, they can kind of because they're redeeming in stock, they can use they can hand over appreciated stock. They can look through their inventory and find the most lowest basis stock, the stock they bought for cheapest, mm-hmm. and hand it over every time there's a redemption mm-hmm. in just the natural creation and redemption process in an ETF. That's the normal way. 
But what if you have a big stock leaving your index on a Friday and you don't happen to have a bunch of people you know are going to redeem that day? Who knows? Maybe people want to create that day. Um, that's a problem because if you sell again, you're going to create a taxable gain for your sh- that your shareholders will have to pay. But what if you could somehow magically create more extra redemptions that happen just at the time you need them so there's no tax bill? And that's what a heartbeat is. You call up a, a market participant, um, a, a, a bank or a, or a market maker, an authorized participant in the ETF lingo, and you say, hey, listen, I've got this redemption I need to happen on Friday. Could you please create on Wednesday, create this amount, and uh, the, the bank or market maker will create a whole bunch of ETF and then a day or two later redeem out. But rather than redeem just the custom, the, the standard basket of all the stocks in the ETF, they'll take the stuff that the ETF needs to get rid of that day. And that's where the question about whether this is kind of nefarious or not really comes in. If this is part and parcel of kind of like how an ETF operates day in, day out, that's one thing. But then when you're synthetically creating a transaction for that purpose to get rid of those uh, those specific stocks, how does the IRS, how does Treasury, how does Congress and the American public feel about that? Eric, when, when you see that on a screen, what does it look like to you? It looks like a heart monitor. Uh, it looks, you know... I call these operational flows or tax flows. Um, it's interesting because this idea of maneuvering around the IRS happens like everywhere. Every industry does this. I think some of the initial reaction, the pushback, was basically that um, typically when something nefarious is going on, the little guy is getting screwed. And here, the average investor is benefiting from this practice. So yeah, I think that was inv- the- in, If you're an investor in ETFs via anything – you're actually probably benefiting from this in the form of not actually having to pay those capital gains, right? Well, let's talk about dodge versus deferral. Uh, can you just break down? This isn't avoiding the tax. It's more just putting it off, right? Yeah, absolutely. So if an ETF doesn't distribute capital gains to its shareholders, that doesn't mean they'll never have to pay. It means that rather than paying every time a stock leaves the index, every year they own the ETF, they get to sort of save up all those tax bills till the end. They get to wait until they actually sell the ETF and then pay them all at once. But there's so first of all, there's you're essentially getting a no interest loan from the U.S. government that you control when when the loan is due, right? So that's like obviously a cost to the government. If I called the IRS and said I don't want to pay my taxes for ten years, they would throw me in jail. That's not okay, right? So that first of all, that it's it's. It's deferral, but that deferral is a real thing. The second thing is there are cases that are where you don't pay. Uh, the first is if you if you leave the ETF in your estate, your heirs don't have to pay that capital gain. It disappears. The, the second one is that some of the gains that are generated by an ETF buying and selling stocks are short-term gains that are, that are paid at a higher rate um, than long-term capital gains. But by the magic of this process, you're transforming them into long-term gains that are paid at about half the tax rate. Now, that's not a big number for most ETFs. Most of their gains are long-term, but it's not zero either. 
obviously the the investors you know do benefit from this maneuver if you want to call it that but i think the other thing to kind of remember is that when we look at sort of the american population at large the vast majority are not investors you know investments are still managed by a relatively small proportion of the overall public so if the treasury is effectively giving a loan to investors um, for this purpose to defer tax for a certain number of years there are other things that treasury cannot do with that money they can't invest in in your children's playground for example they can't necessarily give out food stamps to the poor there is something that kind of like goes from actually having this this deferral there is something that this money could be put to which it's not so yes the small investors do benefit but you've got to be an investor to be able to benefit and and how much money are we are we talking here so in the by our calculations in the most recent calendar year for ETFs we found over 200 billion dollars of capital gains that were essentially uh, not recognized through this process. So if you were to do the math on that, that's maybe 20-some billion dollars of taxes that essentially weren't paid that year and that will be paid instead in some year in the future. And so in the next year, there'll be another loan uh, by the government to these investors of 20 20 or so billion dollars. And there's a lot of ways in which the government um, encourages savings and offers tax subsidies to savers, like through 401ks and IRAs and, and savings vehicles like that. But those were the product of some kind of policy discussion in Washington, where Congress said, we want to encourage this kind of savings and not that kind of savings. This one has just kind of happened by accident. No one, no one even really kind of knew in Congress that they did it. And so we thought it was worth pointing out. So you can have that policy discussion about, is this the kind of subsidy we want to we want to impose um, just on ETF holders, not mutual fund holders, not hedge fund owners, not people who own individual stocks, just ETFs. And this idea of uh, tax maneuvering, we saw this year in January, uh, weren't heartbeat trades, but a ton of money came out of equity ETFs unnaturally. And in Q4, a ton of money went into equity ETFs in the face of a downturn, unnatural. That was tax loss harvesting. And an advisor would advertise, they call it tax alpha. And one argument that was made was that the advisor is being fiduciary by helping their client steer around that. Could you make the argument the asset manager would not be would be violating their fiduciary duty by not taking advantage of this? I, th- I think that's a totally valid argument. I mean, I, I don't think it's at all you, – you can't really blame the, um, the, the market participants here for doing what – they believe and their lawyers are telling them is legal and that clearly benefits their investors. There's no question about that. At least they're taxable investors. Um, and so uh, you, you can't really you know, cast moral you know, aspersions on folks who are trying to follow the law and you know, maximize the tax efficiency of their funds. But it's also worth kind of pointing out what are the policies that were created? Did anyone ever intend this subsidy to apply to this one particular industry and not others. And, you know, if we were to kind of take a look at the tax code, is that really like the way it's, it's supposed to work? I think that's our point. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I also want to point out that the term heartbeat wasn't one that you guys coined. You That's weren't right. the first people to recognize that this was happening. Um, so who coined it and what's happened since she discovered? So Elizabeth Kashner at FactSet Research wrote about this in December 2017. Um, and she it reminded her of the, the flows on the screen reminded her of her of her dad's EKG monitor. That's mm-hmm. why she called them heartbeats. Um, that research uh, was was great and really gave us kind of the foundation of what we, you know, pursued. Um, um, but you know, outside the ETF industry, I don't think a lot of people um, had really heard about it, which was why we thought there was an opportunity to tell tell the story to more people. Yeah, and these these trades also have a lot of different names within the industry, which may give you an, a sense of how people view them. You know, they're often called friendlies or kickers or tax trades, that the more kind of like politically correct term these days is custom right. in-kind baskets or right. SIBs. That well, sounds the, like the, a lawyer was involved. The, yeah. yeah, the lawyer, the lawyers <laughs> basically, the lawyers told them not to use all those other terms because they, they kind of, they're a little too truthy. The problem for the lawyers is that they want to pretend that these are kind of third, you know, arm's length transactions with the banks doing them for their own reasons, but they're really not. And so a, a word like friendlies set off alarm bells. So now that they... They instead they use this word custom in kind baskets that doesn't really mean anything and no one can remember, but it it um, they think is safer ground legally. You know, I think if I was the IRS or the government listening to this, you know, one of the things that really just upsets people about mutual funds, and I, I get it, is hey, I bought this mutual fund and I'm just sitting there like a good soldier and I get this nasty tax bill because somebody else left. That really is not fair. The ETF sort of seems fair, not like a like you're cheating, but just fair. You pay a tax when you sell. Um, so if anything, I think the mutual fund should be fixed or or dealt with to make it like the ETF level playing field. That, that's just my opinion on it because the, that idea of just sitting there and getting a tax bill because you invested in a fund just – I don't know. Something seems kind of wrong about that, uh, especially because it's, it's, you're basically paying taxes because somebody else did something. So judgy. Truthy. Judgy. (laughs) Everything on this one. So I feel like I kind of have a pretty good sense of what people in the industry have said, and we'll get to that in a second. But what have you heard from policymakers since the article was published? So far from my side, and Zach can probably speak to this better, it's been it's been relatively quiet. Uh, in terms of the wider reaction, you know, obviously the industry has been relatively defensive in some some respects, and I think that's entirely understandable. You know, this is obviously something that has you know helped the ETF industry grow into this three point eight trillion uh, you know sort of size beast that we see now in the US. So it's obviously something that that, that people feel quite strongly about and, and see as being very investor friendly. In terms of kind of like the the wider reaction, though, you know, from the the general public, you know, I have had quite a number of emails and comments sort of saying that they're glad that we're shedding a light on this and asking these questions. Some of those may be investors that have benefited from it. Some of them are not. But I think, you know, the the, the point of all, all these types of stories is really to, to provoke a conversation and to get people kind of talking about it. Two things I thought fascinating about this. 
If you go deep to the end of the story, two things jumped out at me that were just fascinating. One is that the SEC is sort of putting into their new rule to make this easier for smaller players to do, in a sense. They're helping they're helping the industry out. This is the SEC. And then the ICI, which is the biggest mutual fund lobbying organization, which if anybody would might benefit from this loophole getting closed, it's mutual funds, right? Because ETFs are so much more tax efficient. They've driven a lot of investors away from mutual funds. It's one of the reasons. And the ICI is basically saying this, you, you shouldn't close this loophole. It would it would force uh, uh, frequent, sizable, and un- unanticipated tax bills. I thought those were interesting defenses from gigantic bodies that you would almost think have a vested interest on the other side to close the loophole. So I can take the Securities and Exchange Commission first. I mean, so the, the rule that you're referring to is what we call kind of colloquially the ETF rule. Uh, and basically that's been in the works for the last decade or so. And the idea is to effectively kind of streamline the process by which ETFs are able to come to market. That's its overall task. But one of the proposals within that is designed to make it easier, particularly within fixed income ETFs, to uh, create more liquidity within those ETFs and, and to allow people to create and redeem those more easily. As part of that, the SEC plans to allow custom baskets, which is something that's uh, very much been a part of kind of this heartbeat trade. You need to be able to give out something that's not a pro rata slice of the fund in order to be able to give out uh, securities that, that are, are going to be taxed at the, the highest um, level. So this is something that will have that implication, but I don't think it's necessarily the intent from having read the, the rule as it's been put out there. But I think the SEC is definitely aware of, of heartbeat trades. Uh, and to our knowledge, they haven't come out and, and slapped any risks about them or, or commented um, praising them either. Yeah. And, and as for the ICI, I mean, they do represent ETF companies. So if you talk to mutual fund managers, some of them are are livid about this, this heartbeat situation. And I, I think the ICI's comment there was not defending heartbeats, but defending the underlying tax benefit that does apply to mutual funds in a much less attractive way uh, and saying that, you know, the tax ben- benefit that the ETF... ETFs used every day shouldn't be repealed. So, Eric, what's been the the reaction within the industry? <laughs> I think mostly defensiveness. I, I think, you know, um, Rachel's point earlier, I think, is key here. If you're looking at society as a whole, there's a huge argument. This is why the Fed's policies, you could argue, are creating income inequality, because they're just helping asset prices go up. And if you don't own any assets, like stocks and bonds, it, it, you're kind of missing out on this whole bonanza. And ETFs are part of that. And anything that helps people who own stocks, it helps. But if you take just the owners of assets and you bubble those off and put the rest of society aside, I think most of them are like, hey, this is the the retail investors benefiting here. Um, This is nothing new. We've heard about this. I can can see both sides for sure. I I do think there was somebody quoted who said the fact that they got a little – they sped up the amount of heartbeats. They got bigger. Like maybe they shouldn't have taken advantage so quickly, so fast, because it does look a little uh, – not greedy is might not be the right, right word, but maybe uh, – A little because, brazen. A little, yeah. But <laughs> because back in the day, I don't recall hardly any of these, maybe once in a blue moon. But they're pretty routine now. And one other point was made, which was Vanguard. Now, everybody knows them as sort of the you know, Jack Bogle, the champions of the little guy. And they're probably, besides BlackRock, the biggest uh, company that does this. And so they I think that big, also the biggest, the biggest, right? So, what do you guys make of Vanguard being involved? What do they say? Um, you know, they they commented for our story. They said that they've they believe they're in full compliance with the rules, and uh, 
they they defend the practice. And and to be to be fair, I mean Vanguard's whole mantra is low fees, low taxes, uh, and this fits right into that. It, it fits into you know let's do everything we can to put the investor first. And to your point about how this has become more more common, you know, I think that's that's not just kind of an illusion. That's definitely true. You know, based on on the data that we looked at, and that really speaks to how how fast the ETF industry has grown. I mean, if you look at kind of like assets, you know, we're now at three point eight trillion. You know, a decade ago we were you know under one trillion. So it's become very very big, very very quick. And many of those new funds that have been garnering assets are those that rebalance much more frequently. If you look at the older ETFs, you know, they're maybe doing twice a year, once a year. They don't need these so frequently. We now have funds that rebalance once a week. If you're rebalancing once a week, that tax uh, kind of uh, burden from having to to, to book a a tax every time you are are changing your portfolio could be pretty severe. So being able to capitalize on this this, this part of the tax code allows you to have those funds. And they have been kind of like the ones that have really been growing these kind of like smart beta factor focused funds. So I think that's kind of like one of the reasons we're seeing more and more of them now and why it's become such a kind of um, interesting uh, feature. And perhaps, you know, we see them much more frequently. The other thing, of course, is that we've had you know the longest bull market in history. So if you've got stocks always going up, you're going to have an awful lot of, of gains there. Yeah, and, and th- to that point, uh, one of the ETFs back in the day that gave off nasty capital gains because it had no other choice was FM, the frontier market. It had this incredible run-up, and that's true. If the market were to be more normal, <laughs> less Fed-induced and less utopia-like, uh, and it had, you know, went up and down, I think this would probably come out naturally. You guys pointed out that SPY in particular was able to do this naturally for a number of years, right? We- yeah, we don't. I mean, they may. There's a couple times they might have done a heartbeat. We're not really sure, but for the most part, that's the biggest ETF, the the, the most heavily traded stock in the world. I think, right? In, oh, in the yeah, US. yeah. And and they have so much natural creation and redemption. They don't need to kind of create synthetic redemptions in order to do these kind of. Um, Re- change, changes in their portfolio. That's a good point. And Vanguard sees nothing but inflows for the most part, and that's the problem. Inflows plus a rising market means you, you're you going to have a capital gain unless you maybe do this. Um, one other issue here is that the other participant isn't the asset manager, it's the banks, right? The authorized participants, right? Market makers. So here's the quote from Vanguard. The question was, what do they get out of it? Because isn't the real deal that if it's a tax violation, whatnot, if it's done for the sole purpose of dodging taxes versus the party has a reason to do it, right? So here's what Vanguard said. Um, the banks enter these transactions for their own independent business reasons. That's it's, all they said about it. But what, what, what did you guys find out about I, it? I found that nicely vague. I mean, independent business reasons cover a multitude of different uh, possibilities, right? I mean, what, what we heard from talking to people, and, and we, you know, we did talk to ten, tens of people about this story, um, was really kind of the, uh, when it comes to what they're getting out of it, this is primarily done for relationship reasons. Uh, banks are able to, as, as authorized participants, are able to kind of hedge these transactions. They may even be able to kind of trade with some of the securities they get out out at the end of the day, potentially have optimized their hedges to get a little bit of an upside. But by and large, these are pretty much trades where they break even and they're doing it because they want to get more business from these asset managers. It's when, a favor. It's a favor, exactly. Whether it comes to ETFs or it, it kind of translates into maybe their uh, active management uh, sphere, they're doing this because it, it helps out uh, somebody that they want to get business from in, in other respects. So I guess independent business reasons, Dev. <laughs> that falls under that for sure. Yeah, we should right. do a whole episode a, called Independent Business That's a business good PR reason. guy right there. <laughs> Zach, Rachel, thanks for joining us on Trillions. Thanks for having us. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. And you can follow Zach and Rachel at Zach Miter and at Rachel Evans underscore NY. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. How does Invesco QQQ rethink possibility? By rethinking access to innovation and the NASDAQ 100. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.